Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I am Matt Spendley, and I'm joined tonight by Kyle Maggio. That's a hell of a one today, Matt. How about the end? The fourth quarter was just tremendous, as was the third quarter when the Knicks outscored the Grizz by 16 points. Just a a pretty fun game. And I I said this to you before we started recording, but you could even hear it in Breen's voice. He was very exclamatory. Um, Three wins in a row. I, I know we mostly want them to tank, but... You know, that's that's three pretty fun wins back-to-back-to-back to back to back against three pretty darn good teams, too. Yeah, we said it all, you know, to begin the season in the summer that we didn't really care to be rooting for losses this year. There's too many young kids that we want to be successful and we want to take strides that look like legitimate players. So um, when we can get some wins off the backs of that, then they're, they're always going to feel good. And last couple of days, we've seen, like, every kind of person step up and have a good game. It wasn't, you know, the like a Tim Hardaway Jr. 30-point game stretch. You know, this is uh, – Burke was in Boston. Then the the Pelicans game was uh, the Moutier resurgence game, and uh, Trier won off. And then tonight, you know, Cantor had the, uh, the, the 21-26 performance, and it's just another well uh, well played game by Moody. It's just it's like everybody's kind of chipping in right now. Vonley was tremendous the last three games too. So it's just a lot of that's the that's the good part I guess about a young team is that there's so many different guys who can play hero. Now to that point, I'm curious how you feel about this because they do have young guys that are playing, but you also get in tonight's game you get only seven knocks seven oh my god seven knocks seven minutes from Kevin Knox. You get 13 minutes from Mitchell Robinson. Frank was mostly pretty quiet. He came back in at the end of the game, hit a couple big free throws. Are you worried about, you know, you, you see Ennis Cantor, 41 minutes, Tim Hardaway, 38 minutes, Trey Burke, 29 minutes, Emmanuel Moutier, 23 minutes. Does that worry you at all, that it's maybe the guys that aren't the longest-term projects for this team that are playing the best right now when they're winning? It, it, it's... Yes and no, I guess, because a lot of these guys are still relatively young. It's just not the young guys that we want to be playing. So, like, I know we obviously want Frank to to play more and play well, but then you have to always remember Moody is, what, 22 years old? Yeah. And, I mean, technically he's still a young guy. So um, I, I don't think the front office or the coaching staff views young the same way we do. Like, young Tuss is always, like, the first or second year guys that are still pretty young in age also. And just, you know wanting them to play more and succeed and get comfortable. But I think the coaching staff probably thinks anyone 23-ish and under is young. So so they're prioritizing, essentially, giving all of these guys an opportunity. And we've seen Emmanuel Moutier perk up, specifically the game in New Orleans. He was fantastic. Um, you know, Kyle, you've said this before. I don't think people talk about Alonzo Trier outside the Knicks. It's absurd. Yeah, and I'm being completely serious. I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to Because we joke troll. about the undrafted thing, but like this yeah. is actually a serious thing. Yeah, no, I, again, not trying to troll at all. I understand that's a lot of my Twitter brand, <laughs> but I'm not trying to troll at all. Um, I think the first time that I saw somebody outside of Nick's Twitter talking about Alonzo Trier was maybe 15 minutes before this podcast started, and I was perusing my timeline on Twitter, and I saw Matt Moore, who's uh, HP Basketball on Twitter, and he said, 
he, he sent a tweet out, and I don't want to misquote him, but he said something about, of course, the Knicks are going to be surprisingly good this year and then uh, play too well to be, um, you know, out of position for Zion Williamson. Right. And that was, I think, the first thing. And then somebody asked him, like, if he was kidding, and then he was just like, like no, like, Alonzo Trier is, is playing well and all that. So that was the first tweet that I saw. Like, I'm being completely serious. And I, we're all on Twitter a lot. And no one, no one's talking about Alonzo Trier. Nobody. It's absurd. I, and I know I've also joked multiple times about him being the best undrafted player of all time, which is obviously not true. But <laughs> like the amount of good games this guy has being undrafted, like he's already a good player. I pointed out another play tonight because I was tweeting the game. His patience in the pick and roll is just already next level NBA stuff. It's a skill that he has in his back pocket and. We've talked, too, about his chase down blocks. There's a lot of really encouraging parts of his game that are small that only we would know. I think that this is, like, a bigger issue. Do you think the Knicks, just in terms of this team and how much people care about it, do you think they might be the least cared about team in the NBA outside of Knicks fans? I think they might be. No one ever talks about anything about the Knicks. I think it's got to be some combination of, like, the redundant conversations that happen on Twitter all the time. Well, same old Knicks, the Knicks suck. Same old Knicks, the Knicks suck. Same old Knicks, the Knicks. Every year. LOL every year, Knicks. Right? LOL Knicks. Like, and and sometimes they're, they're trying to be funny, and sometimes it's trolling. And a, a lot of times people are just very serious with their analysis. It's just not a good team in New York, and that's it. So I think at that point, and then especially without KP, it was just like, Again, going to be the same thing. So rather than go through the whole rigmarole, everybody just skipped it and ignore them altogether, which is very strange because normally for any big market team, like they still, even when the Lakers were bad, we were always hearing about Jordan Clarkson. Ugh, and how that went? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't really get why. I, I don't know what it's going to take. I think it's going to have if they go on a, a sudden win streak now. If this turns in this this three game winning streak turns into like seven or eight somehow. You know, then I feel like they're going to be like, oh, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. is this and that. And look at them. They're playing 500-ish ball. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen before then. I don't really think I'm blaming people for not wanting to talk about the Knicks either because they just don't have that many players that outside of our circle that people should really care about, you know, because Tim Hardaway, people just – it's an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. He's a highly paid shooting guard. That's a volume scorer. Whatever he does on a day-to-day basis is not that exciting. Meanwhile, we're watching, and we know that he's been mostly quite good this year, and specifically recently, save from the New Orleans game, which was just absolutely atrocious. And he did manage to salvage tonight's game after a tough start. But, yeah, it's just been some guys that have stepped up. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I said this on the podcast maybe a couple months ago, or I guess last month at the beginning of the season, why I was just so confused why all these teams ended up giving up on Noah Vonley because another, not like a crazy big game. He only had seven and six with a couple assists, but defensively he's so stout. He's just a smart NBA player. And we saw a stretch in there for a little while where he kind of disappeared and then ended up coming back with a couple big games recently. I just really, really enjoy him on the team. And we've had some articles on the website too that have condoned for this, but I'd like to see him come back next year and be a part of something potentially greater and see what he can do if he's playing in lineups next to Porzingis. Yeah, I mean, 
I think I brought up this point a couple of weeks ago, but as you know, I love Julius Randle. And a lot of things that Vonley is good at are like poor man's versions of what Julius Randle can do. So I would be incredibly on board. I, I would definitely want to see that pairing because it, it would be a knockoff version of what I had hoped for. So I don't know how realistic it is, is it in your opinion if we're still shooting for a big free agent. Like if they get Durant, Vonley's gone, no? Yeah, I mean, I just don't know if he's going to command much money anyways, you know? I, I think that they could pretty easily bring him back on maybe, I don't know, a minimum deal. It, see, this this goes back to my point before, right? Like, how many teams out there are sitting here watching the Knicks on a day-to-day basis looking for potential free agents in the future? Because every team has those kind of guys on staff that are monitoring the rest of the NBA and seeing what's going on. I'm not sure that Noah Vonley is a guy that would jump off the screen for a lot of teams, so I don't think that he would necessarily command much money. So even if they got a big free agent, the roster would certainly shift, but I don't see why they wouldn't be able to bring him back. I, I'm not exactly sure what would end up happening, but I wouldn't rule it out. Okay. Oh, and, and you mentioned um, how could a, a player like him who's this smart, you know, not, you know, get – oh, sorry. How was he bounced around yes. so many times? But um, I saw somebody tweet that, Basically, to answer that question, you know, he just was not very good before this. But I don't know how much of that is true, I guess. There's a lot of Blazers fans who seem to think that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of Blazers fans that I've talked to kind of said he was inconsistent, but that he was always this kind of talented. Um, I know Nate Jones, who's at Jones on the NBA. It's one of my favorite um, NBA follows. But he talks about it all the time, that he wishes Von Lee was still in Portland. That matters, too. When a team loses a guy that's kind of a fringe player and they're upset about it, like that speaks volumes to that player's ability to impress and leave a lasting impression on a team. I just really enjoy when he's on the court, and I think he makes the Knicks better top to bottom. Certainly does. And his shooting. Like He's been, you know, he had another three tonight. He had four threes in the first half on Friday, which was incredible. Like, in Chicago, at the end of his tenure, where he played 20 to 25 games last year, he started shooting more threes, and he wasn't very efficient. But this year, he's had some moments where he can be a floor spacer, and he can stretch out the floor and be a guy that can make an impact on an offense. I I just think he makes the Knicks much better when he's on the floor, and I I thoroughly enjoy watching him play basketball. He's one of my favorite guys on this team. Because he's easy to root for because he he's your typical like fan favorite kind of guy the way he hustles and works his ass off on both ends, but he's kind of like a step above that too because he's also incredibly smart. It's not like he's just a scrappy, you know, physical guy. Like he's actually talented and smart with, uh, you know, things he could do with ball handling and so it, it's just it's I don't know just a it, it's really like a early fan favorite kind of guy. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I've enjoyed him. You know who I haven't enjoyed, Kyle? Can you guess? It's, dude, he's, I've want, I've wished for weeks. Every time I've had a tweet a game, I go, I really hope that Mario Zodi has a good game tonight because I really like him as a, as a guy. Like I like him as a player. I like his skill set. And then every game, every single game, he just does nothing for me. Nothing. I don't think he was awful tonight but he certainly wasn't good at least it looks like he was trying on defense and he had the nice give and go with Vonley which was a beautiful play but god damn dude like (laughs) that's so his last four games his last four games he has scored tonight he had four points 
Against the Pelicans, he had three points. Against the Celtics, he had three points. And against the Blazers, he had two points. I mean, excuse me, against the Pelicans, he had two points. So over his last six games, because he had two DMPs, he scored a combined 11 points. 11. It's not a lot. It's not. It's really not a lot. It's not even close to a lot. He's brutal. He's brutal. And like I said, I think that it wasn't his worst game tonight, but still not, nowhere near the guy that we thought we were getting. He's just a frustrating guy, and I just I, he's a guy I do not enjoy watching play the game of basketball. He's the anti-Noah Vonley. I, I hate to kind of play that, you know, that armchair psychiatrist kind of shit, but whenever I watch him, I can't help but think that he, by miles and miles and miles, is like he overthinks everything he does. I think you're absolutely right. Cuz every time I see him get the ball, he just he just hesitates. Like no matter what it is, if he was going to take somebody off the dribble quickly after getting a pass, it always turns into like this little half-assed jab step. When he's going to shoot, he always seems to like spin the ball or like just this little baby pump fake. He's just always unsure of whatever it is that he wants to do. I don't know I, I don't know why. I why would he be in his own head this much? But it seems like he's always um, flinching or sort of like pump faking or just and he with no plan, with no direction, and he always just kind of gets stuck. And then he throws up a really like he, he threw up one layup tonight it was like a sweeping, scooping layup that just went off the other side of the backboard. <laughs> it's just I, it's frustrating because like the value of his signing at the time, I was like, oh yeah, he's an interesting player. He had a nice second half last year. Okay, I'll take a flyer on it. And then whenever that kind of stuff happens, you always, like, look for the positives. Like, when you were like, oh, he played 52% uh, percent of his minutes at the four last year. And, uh, you know, that could bode well as a playmaker in Fisdale's office. And you talk yourself into ways that he could be a really fun player on a bad team. And it's just been the total opposite. Yeah, has not worked out well. And I was hoping he would shoot more threes this year. And he hasn't even really been doing that. Like, And he has certainly hasn't been efficient. We know that much. It's been frustrating to watch. And I, I hope that his minute share is decreased especially considering that we've seen Damian Dotson essentially out of the rotation for the last three games. Another DNP tonight for Dot. When you're giving minutes to Hazonia and not Dotson after their performances and what Fizdale's decided to do with some of these lineups, I just don't think it's a smart decision because Hazonia's a guy, there's no chance he's back on the Knicks next year, right? There's no shot. Dotson is a guy that we know is going to be a part of this team simply because he was a guy they drafted and he's going to be around at least till next year, and then they can evaluate their options once his contract is up, once they have to make a, a palpable decision on what to do with him on the roster. Those are the moves on the fringes that I think don't make sense from a, a standpoint of trying to see what you have and experiment because we saw the Knicks have a really effective lineup that was playing Dotson 25 to 30 to 35 minutes a game. And just because the Knicks have had a three-game winning streak, I think that specifically tonight, Perhaps this was the case, but it's not like their starting lineup has been exactly the reason for that. Because like you mentioned, in in the Boston game, you got a great effort from Trey Burke. In the New Orleans game, you had a great game from Alonzo Trier, in addition to Moutier, who has been starting. But the, the Hazonia-Dotson minutes, they got to switch soon. We, we can't keep having this. It's just not acceptable in my mind. Yeah, and Fisdale said he's looking around the 20-25 game mark to have a starting lineup locked in and I'm going to partly listen to my next question anyway, but um, does it feel like 
Because I think Dotson's going to be back at that 25-minute mark. I just think anybody with a brain, whether it's the eye test, whether it's um, you're looking at the numbers, no matter what you decide to, to use for the argument, like Dotson's been just miles and miles better than Hazonia has at, for those minutes. And I just can't uh, – I can't see – like I, yeah, there's to me like Hazoni's gonna turn into like a five to ten minute a game guy, and then Dawson's gonna get the nod. We can only I just hope. Can't, I, I there's just no there's just no way. And and I think the the signing of Hazoni was two things. I think it was they were encouraged by his last half of the season last year, but also that it, it's that coupled with that he's Perry's guy, isn't he? Yeah. Didn't they didn't they draft him? So yeah. I'm sure he's like, look, I, I, this is this was my pick. I, I like the talent level. I think, you know, he must have really thought it was a good fit, and it just it hasn't been. Sometimes that shit happens. I mean, there's nothing you could do about it. Sometimes, but um, I guess my next question is about the starting lineup. What do you think of um, Emmanuel Moutier starting point guard for the rest of the year? It doesn't sound like a terrible proposition, which is hysterical considering over the summer and into the preseason, we were basically like, well, he's just not going to play, right? And they could just get rid of him when they have to sign Trier. I still cannot bring myself to buy it. I just don't buy it. Like, I think that when you watch him, he certainly looks more comfortable. And I think he's more confident in the player that he is. And I give credit to Fizz for potentially instilling some of that confidence. We saw the clip that was going around all summer and people bring it up every single time is when he looked at Moutier and said, we're going to get you right. And he has gotten him right. And I think you need to give the coaching staff some credit there to to give them the credit they deserve for getting a player that was basically on the fringes of the league if he was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And now, you know, it makes sense to see what you have. I still don't think that in general, he's ever going to be some sort of good basketball player. I just don't buy it because I think that the numbers still aren't going to back this up from the advanced statistics, how he performs when he's on the court versus how they perform when he's off. He's always been tough there. Um, I, I like that he's been shooting more threes. And because last year, remember last year, what did he miss? Like his first 22 attempts from three as a Nick. And then this year, he certainly hasn't been incredibly efficient. He's shooting 31%. But just to have that in the back pocket and to take them, he had two tonight. I like that part of his game, and I just like what I've seen, the awesome dunk in the fourth quarter off the Trey Burke steal. Those moments matter for a player, and they give them the confidence they need to become whatever they're going to be. So credit to the Knicks for putting some faith in Moutier. Credit to Moutier for working hard. We mentioned that on the broadcast, uh, Breen brought it up, that he lost 10 pounds over the offseason, got himself more in shape because he wasn't in great shape. Last year, uh, I, like I said, I'm still not buying it, but it's been it's been nice to watch him, which was the exact opposite of how we were talking about him last year. I guess the crazy thing for me is it doesn't even look like he's changed anything about his approach. It just looks like I, I mean, the couple things that I noticed is um, he he's working his ass off defensively. He made a lot of he made a couple of nice plays um, in the New Orleans game. I think he finished that game with four steals, but. It was how he got the steals because sometimes steals just kind of, you know, it, it's right in front of you kind of thing. But he had two steals, uh, one where I forgot which New Orleans player was, but he saved the ball uh, on the in, uh, on the, the, the side of the court. And, he, and Moutier was just 
waiting for the ball to be saved, and he just snagged it, went in for the – I think he got fouled. I don't think he made the layup. But then there was another one where I, he, someone was just lobbing a lazy pass, but the, Moutier started from the corner and timed it all the way out, and the pass was thrown you know, up on the wing. So he's making really heads-up defensive reads too, and he's kind of using that big body of his a little bit more. But offensively, I don't really notice him doing anything different. He's just still moving the ball around. Um, he's just kind of just been more effective. I think he's shooting over 50% from the field still. Yeah, he's right he's at just, 50%. He, he's just making things. And and when he goes to the rack now, it, it doesn't look like he's looking for contact on the fall over. He's still falling sometimes, but... You know, it looks like he's going up a little bit stronger. Maybe it's the weight he's lost. Maybe he's a little more explosive. Maybe we're just overanalyzing it because he's making slightly more shots. But whatever it is, it's been fun. And you could tell he's actually working his ass off. So I think that's the more encouraging part of it. And what he's doing doesn't feel incredibly unsustainable, right? It's not like the Trey Burke thing where last year we knew, like, man, he was just shooting such a high percentage. We knew that was not going to continue. I don't think what Moutier is doing right now is necessarily some sort of unsustainable feat that he couldn't keep doing. He couldn't, it's, he pretty easily could keep averaging 12 points and have a nice game like on Friday where he scores 27, kind of pop off a little bit. It doesn't feel like this is unsustainable. I'm just still not going to buy into him being a viable long-term option at guard for any NBA team if you're looking to have a good winning environment. I just don't buy that. But what he's doing right now, he could certainly keep it up. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I mean. It just Even his threes, like they're not wild pull-up threes or even really off the screen. Like a lot of times he's just wide open. Right. That, that's exactly what happened in the New Orleans games. That's what happened a couple times tonight. He was just wide open. And I'm going to reach really far back for this, but I think on, on a pod that we had Joan Ardon on, we talked about Moutier. And I've someone brought up his like spot up three point numbers and they were they were good. And I forgot in what context we brought it up, but basically like, oh, if that was the one positive from this trade that he could bring, it's spot up shooting. And then um we we all kind of laughed it off and shot it down because that was the only positive we had really found. And it, if that's valid from what I remember, then um I don't know. I mean, he's, that's what he's doing now, so that's that's fun that that translated. It's a good skill to have, and it helps out in offense. I think his assist numbers haven't been incredibly high at four tonight. But, we but he know whips the ball around he, a lot. He does. Too. He does. Like, it, yeah. it doesn't show up, but not not really hockey assists, but he, I mean, he gets things moving. Right. Like We shouldn't just look at assists and have that be the end-all, be-all for passing numbers. Certainly not. We're, we're better than that. But the Knicks as a team have struggled, and I think that a lot of that goes back to the fact that they just don't have that many creative players in the pick and roll would, when they're running that type of offense, when they're setting a screen with Cantor or Robinson. And that's why I think I like Trier a lot because he brings an element to an offense that they don't have from their other guards. Cause I'm, I've never been the biggest Trey Burke fan. I don't think he's an especially creative player in the pick and roll. I think he's a good scorer, but I, I don't think that he necessarily has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And with Frank, obviously it's a lot of entry level stuff. It's the pocket passes that he's been good at. So with Trier, what he provides there is a lot of what they're missing from other positions. With Moutier, you know, he he works a lot in that mid-range. He's able to use his body, like you said, which is nice because he has the big frame at the point guard position. But Moutier, in general, has been just good. And we'll see if he can keep it up. Uh, we, we certainly don't have any crazy expectations. To flip it around to the other guy, Trey Burke was awful tonight. He is just a... 
day to day, we should never mm -hmm. really rely on him for the same type of output. He was 3 of 15 tonight, just generally had some tough shots. And in the end of a game, he's kind of like Tim Hardaway, where you feel like he's just feast or famine. And it's like, okay, this is either going to go well, and he's going to have a fantastic game, or he's going to end up shooting them right out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a couple games removed from the, the Boston game when he looked so good. and But that, that's just... It, it's his style of game. I mean, he's... It's a lot of finesse. You know, it's a, it's a lot of ISO and having to create, and that's not going to fly every night with certain matchups. So, like you said, it's got to be a game-by-game -game thing because um, as fun as he can be, it's just not something that we should always be relying on. For sure, for sure. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about that video of you teaching your cousin Flip Cup. Yeah. Uh, I am wildly impressed that he got it on his third try. Um, it, it, was a, it was a strange situation. So we were, we were playing Flip Cup, and um, he – he asked me what it was that we were doing, so I showed it to him. And he's a he's a smart kid, as you can see. Of and, course he uh, is. So, so he the first time he does it, he like flings it way up and it almost hits the ceiling. And I was like, no, 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 you got to like really light. And then I show him, and then all of a sudden he gets it. So I was like, oh, okay. I was like, so just do it a couple more times. So then he does, he throws it a little high, uh, too high again. And then the, the very next time he gets it again. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna start recording this. So. Because uh, his father actually wasn't there that night. And, uh, oh, so I see, now it's making yeah. sense. Dad's yeah, away my... and you show him all the tricks, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I was my... <laughs> he's my best friend, so I, uh, I sent it to him and we got a kick <laughs> out of it. But uh, he ended up getting nine in the first, like, wow, 10 minutes or so. So kid's got talent. So so future frat leader, future president of the frat, clearly. Clearly. It's coming. <laughs> got to groom him. You got to groom him early. Exactly. You know who's a guy that probably wishes he was the president of a frat? Because sometimes he acts like this on social media. And his canter. Mm. Did you see his uh, tweet today? No. Uh, what tonight, rather, after the game? He tweeted uh, simply a gif, and it was the Fisdale take that for data. I love it. I love it. We didn't really talk at the top, which we probably should have, of how nice a win this is for Fizz. That has to feel awesome. And I bet the Knicks were sort of galvanized because of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really looked like they were uh, fighting for him. I mean, Cantor put up 21 and 26. And an I think that's his career high in rebounds, if I'm not mistaken. It, I think is. it was 25 before this. Yeah. And uh, so that was good. Um, and again, I know like people like to harken back to his numbers often being hollow or at least ineffective considering how much he gives up on defense. Um, tonight was one of those nights where his, his sort of like that Orlando game uh, in Orlando last weekend. But where his um, his hustle on the glass actually kept them in the game, and, and his style of play actually kept them in the game. For this was a very physical um, game in the modern NBA. You don't see as much anymore, but Memphis is still playing that way. And as long as Marcus Saul's on that team, it appears it's going to be that way. And they they're a good team, a defense, very physical defensive team. And you know these guys just uh, Cantor was fighting all night. They they all seem to be fighting hard to keep this thing close and uh I, I don't know i just I enjoy it I, I enjoy some of those defensive battles now we don't see them anymore so it's nice to see guys lock in it feels like such a different game when you go play memphis right like when you're going to new orleans and the knicks play the, uh, the pelicans at home on friday and the pelicans just want to run and run and run and the grizzlies just want to get you down in the mud and they want to make it dirty and we saw how physical the game was i didn't think the officiating was as bad as some people on our on our feed did when we were going along with the game but there were certainly some calls that I didn't think were right they would all of a sudden let 
Jaron Jackson to be all up in someone's grill and, you know, Marcus Saul's all over there. And then all of a sudden the next time they're just playing good stout defense and they were calling fouls little inconsistent, but I am not surprised Cantor popped off in this game. It just felt like an Ennis Cantor matchup because they just gave him the ball on the post and he was able to work. He fucking cooked us all too. Most of the night he was he cooking did. us all. He did. That hook shot that he has is just, it's a move he goes to a lot. But when it's so effective, uh, it, like if you're defending him, I think you just need to know that that's what he always wants to go to. But luckily, his postgame is so refined that he can pull out those other moves. This is one of the only matchups, I think, in the league that Cantor clearly makes the most sense just because of the nature of playing the Grizzlies, what they want to do with the game. And you're able to get Cantor in a matchup like this and let him eat, which he certainly did tonight. Yeah, I mean... Kind of comes at a, a fun time because we had that article last week, and I know I think you posted something on defense, and uh, it got Clarence Gaines' attention. Ah, uh, yes, I did. Yep. So uh, he's been the, a hot topic of conversation. So it's nice to see him, you know, really put forth a, a great effort like this tonight. The defense clip was funny because it, he had mostly been playing pretty well, if I remember correctly, but it was just a clip of the Knicks running down in transition after he missed a bucket. And he nowhere was the only found. one that wasn't in the frame. Nowhere and, to be found. No, he was nowhere. He had no interest in going back on defense. Dude, you missed the layup. You're not going back on defense. Come on. What, what if LeBron's taught us nothing else? Isn't it that? Yeah. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I think the Fizz thing shouldn't go overlooked. I, I liked seeing Marcus Saul talk about how they've buried the hatchet and Fizz talk about that. I like that about sports. And we're able to kind of look at something and, and determine that maybe both of them were kind of shitty about it. And then they were able to kind of look at it a year later and be like, eh, I think Marcus Saul's probably not over it though. It doesn't feel no, like I, it. No, it, it doesn't. <laughs> I, being, being honest, I think this is just one of those, like I, I wish people would stop asking us about it. Things. So let's just say what we got to say and move on. So I'm a sucker. So, I mean, this is, I mean, this isn't the first rodeo that we've seen with these kinds of things that they do this all the time. You just say what you got to say for the camera and keep it moving. It's much easier. No, you're right. All right, let's talk briefly about the starting lineup and the decisions that are going to be have to made uh, coming up soon because you had mentioned this is game now 21 for the Knicks, and they're 7-14. and 14. They had a starting lineup earlier in the year that worked well, but they went away from it because Fitz said they weren't winning games. He didn't feel like it was going to be most effective for them. They've had this starting lineup, and they've won three games in a row, but... I'm curious over the next four games because Hazonia has been playing so poorly. I don't really think at this stage anyone else is going to leave the starting lineup. I feel like Moutier, Hardaway, Vonley, and Cantor are locks at this point. Hazonia just doesn't feel like a guy that's going to stick there. So what sort of decision do you think that they make? Do you think it might be as simple as putting Dotson back in? Although you have to consider the fact that he hasn't played recently. So... What do you hope that Fizz decides to do at that Hazonia spot in the starting lineup, assuming you're okay with them keeping the other four in? Yeah, I mean, I thought Von Ley could be expendable from that lineup if Knox just kept that nice little string of games going. Um, he hasn't since. He's struggled with either fouls or just, you know, ineffectiveness in general. And um, I was hoping he can kind of get a – stranglehold on that four once he came back from the ankle injury but he really hasn't um he hasn't been bad i don't think he's he could be better for sure but I, i'm mostly encouraged but that's a 
different convo. I think it really is just Dotson getting put back in. I, I don't see how you could take Von Lee out. He's mostly been um, one of the better players on this team this year. Um, he has a you know quiet game every now and then, but um, he's. I mean, who outside of Von Lee could you really make an argument for? Yeah, I don't think there's anyone else. Yeah, that's got to be it, right? Yeah. Him and Timmy. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm curious what they decide to do there because I just don't think he would put Dotson back in the starting lineup after DNPing him for three straight games. I just don't know if I buy that. But I also don't think he can tangibly look at us and say, yeah, I'm going to keep playing Mario Hazonia. He, his minutes were a little lower. He only played 21 tonight. But I don't think you can look everyone in the eyes and say, this is what we think is best and this is our best lineup. I think that there's changes that need to be made there. I agree. I, I just think he has a brain. You know, he, he knows, he knows you, you can look at all the numbers in the world. You go look at the games that Dotson played in. I mean, this is a very obvious case of them just giving everybody the starting now just to give them to, a, a chance to prove themselves and try out different roles on the team. And kind of the last hurrah, if you will. I know we thought maybe we saw the end of that in the preseason, but it seems that that's not really the case. So um, I think that's really what it is. I think, um, you know, Fisdale kind of put a limit on how much tinkering he has to do with those. And I just don't, I, I can't possibly see a big role for him. I'm sorry. I like a 15 minute a night kind of guy. I just don't see anything larger at this point. Do you have your Instagram notifications on for all the players? I do. Cause I, I had mine on too. And it just says Emmanuel Moody, made a post and I heard your phone vibrate. Yep. Synergy. Absolute yep. synergy. And, and it is him just yamming it. That slam was awesome. I It almost took me aback because I didn't realize at first that he actually successfully dunked it. And I almost assumed that he would mess it up because it's just not something that we've seen Moutier do. We know he can yam, but man, that was awesome. And that's a moment. You got to feel good for the guy, you know, after nearly just not even having a role with this team and all of a sudden he's been much better. It's It's encouraging and you feel good for him. I love the pick though. I yeah, keep it. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we—I wouldn't say we ruled him out, but we sort of. Uh, did. We, I well, think we ruled him out. <laughs> we we did, but it. We've often said that we don't mind being wrong about players. We don't. We we make our observations. We call it like we see it, and when we're wrong, we eat crow. And Jesus Christ, we're about to get a lot of crow with Moody because he's on a hell of a run, man. He is, and we'll see if he can keep it up. Looking ahead. The Knicks play a bunch of Eastern Conference opponents. Weirdly, they don't play another Western Conference team until December 17th. But they're at Detroit, at Philly, home for Milwaukee and Washington, at Boston again, and then home for Brooklyn and Charlotte, at Cleveland, at Charlotte, at Indiana. So they got a bunch of Eastern Conference teams coming up. When we're looking like 10 games from now, so they're 7-14 and 14 now, right? Where do you think that they're going to be? be at that point once they get some of these Eastern Conference opponents because I still think that this it was mostly something that it, it's not going to stick I still think that the Knicks are one of the worst five teams in the league I, I don't think that that's changing despite three nice wins um, also full disclosure I haven't watched the Boston game yet I'm going to do it tomorrow and I'm so excited because winning in Boston with the Knicks is like a top three thing that I just love in sports out of every single team I root for, beating the Celtics in Boston is just a euphoric high for me, and I'm so excited to watch. I, I can't wait. You know what's funny? Well, one, that's correct. That's always the best feeling in the world. And two, remember before uh, the regular season started, we were talking about 
if they could overachieve at all or, you know, mm-hmm. the the likely wins they would have. And I, I forgot you you or I said that um it would be great if, you know, they could just lose to all the shitty, you know, losing teams. And if they're gonna get any wins, make it against good teams. Because that would, you know, be exciting. It would right. prove it's prove prove a little something when you're beating good teams. And I mean, it's it's delightful when one of those could be Boston, especially after that uh that first game they played where Kevin Ox got hurt. They played that game really scrappy and really almost pulled that one out too. So it's nice to see like two straight games, like even if we have to split them, you know, they've been really giving Boston hell and that's fun. And Boston does in fact stink. They're a bad team and Brad Stevens is coaching for his job. He's coaching for his job. He absolutely is. He's on the hot seat. Let's discuss. Got 10 and 10. Yikes. I'm Yikes. crying. I can't believe they're ten and ten. It's my favorite thing going on right now. The the Celtics people freaking out. The you guys talked about it on the pod on Thursday, but the Bill Simmons clip of him saying the Celtics are going to win sixty seven games. They're going to be blowing teams out. They're going to have all these guys, all their bench warmers out oh. to close games because they're going to be ahead. I can't get enough of it. It's I hysterical. Love this oh my it, god. It is. It is. I, I love nothing more. And we get to play a hand in it. Because, you know, when they lose to a bad team, they're going to freak out. But when they lose to the bad team and the bad team is the Knicks, oh, I mean, we're going to get jokes off. They thought they were going to win 67 games, and they lost to Trey Burke and company mm. on their own floor. You, you just really hate to see that. Oh, you it's really a, do. It, it was a goddamn shame, let me tell you. Let me Man, tell you. Yeah, you're going to have a blast. That was that was a great game. I'm excited. Just, that was, it was very uh, Hornets game, Burke-like. It was just he can low-key, like, time. he's pretty electric when he gets going. Like, that Charlotte game, I think, is going to go down. Like, that was one of the most fun games last year. When I think of last year, I think of the Charlotte game, the Michael Beasley game where he torched the Celtics on, like, right before or right after Christmas. Sticks out of my head. Other than that, I mean, like, once Burke got there, they were basically just terrible. So that's what sticks out. I don't know. I'm trying to think, were there any other like seminal moments last year in games that were awesome? Like the KP dunk against Phoenix, I think will always stick out. No, just didn't he have that um that 30 point stretch of games? Yeah, yeah, to start the year. Yeah, he was I mean November like, November was really fun. They just played really, really well as a whole. That feels like a long, long, long time ago. And it was only a year ago. I mean, because in in that span of a year, we had to go from hey. Uh, KP's a legit number one option that could lead an Eastern Conference playoff team to, wow, uh, so Kevin Knox is here. I hope he rebounds a little bit better and they can build around KP next year as we hope to get another top pick. It's just, you know, going from, okay, I think we can, the rebuild may be over and we're moving on to, okay, well, we're in full on rebuild and look at all these rookies. Really tough. Been a Been a tough sort of year to establish the timeline, but... These kind of games, although um, I don't think we need to give our lottery spiel again because I think we've said it enough. And those of you that are privy to the details of the lottery odds, the Knicks are still going to be bad. So when they win a game like this, I really don't think it's that big of a deal. If it ends up being the difference between them having the odds in the end of the year, sure, then you can get upset about it. That's fine. But it doesn't make any sense to sit here and say, oh, I wish they lost this game. If that's how you think, I just, I get it. I do. But we just watch. I, I let no emotion with the winning or losing wash over me. I basically have the same feeling with the Knicks as I do the Giants, right, who lost to Philly today. When the Giants are doing well and they had those couple wins, which were obviously anomalies, they looked good against two of the worst teams in the league. Uh, 
it's just a, okay, whatever, like whatever happens, happens. If they're going to end up screwing themselves out of a lottery pick because they won one stupid game, it sucks in hindsight. But in the moment, I just, I don't think that's how we should be as fans. But we've said that before. Do you have anything else to say on that topic? Or have we kind of established where we feel on that? And I think everyone knows. No, yeah, that's, I'm good there. Yeah, it's, uh, we shall see. So the Knicks are back in action. When are we talking? Tuesday against Detroit. How's Detroit been playing recently? I, I find that I, they're not a league pass team for me. I never watch them. I, I never watch them. I follow a bunch of Pistons guys, so I, I do keep up with it that way a little bit. But um, to my understanding, they are a very good but average team. So like, the Detroit Pistons. So so they're exactly the Pistons. <laughs> But um, I'm just trying to pull out the – what's their record? They're 10-7. and seven. Yeah, I mean, they've been pretty good. I mean, I was looking over the numbers. Blake's been really, really tremendous to start the year for him. I love Blake um, which is Which is funny because they have a miserable offense if you go by the numbers. But Blake's been just very, very quite good. So I think he's averaging 25, 25 10, and almost five assists. I was always here for the Blake Griffin resurgence because I was one of the few super fans of the Lob City Clippers when everyone was making fun of them for losing the playoffs. I was crestfallen. That shot that Chris Paul hit against the Spurs was like one of my favorite moments in the NBA of the last five or seven years. I loved it. It was great. Mm -hmm. So to have that resurgence, I'm with it. I'm with it. Um, Did you have any other Knicks stuff that we wanted to hit on before we get out of here? No. No, I think that pretty much covers it. All right, great. You want to plug our stuff before we hit the road? Yeah, so we've had the Black Friday deals going on uh, at the T Public store, but if you haven't already done so, go check that out. Uh, everything's been 30% off. It'll be 30% off again tomorrow or today when you guys are listening to this. It'll be Monday. So um, we're going to have that running. It'll probably run all day Monday. So 30% off the entire store. Just get your holiday shopping with us. Um, you know, we have the jerseys, uh, all the classics that we've always had, and um just yeah, just check out the tpublic.com Nick's wall store. Um, make sure you give this podcast a five star review. Leave a nice review. Um, I think that's about it. All right, awesome. So Nick's are back in action on Tuesday, and we will talk to you guys on Thursday. So thanks for hanging and good night. All right, take it easy.